Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And go. Hey, everybody. We're back. It's another Forever Mighty post-game show. Uh, we're just getting out of this Ducks-Jets game. Eddie and I were talking a little bit here, and uh, we were hoping for an exciting game. We thought the Ducks would have to squeak a win out of this one if they were going to win, but hope. To God, they got a point, and that's all they would get. They would force overtime. The Jets would would score, make it three to two is the final. John Gibson, the story of this game. I don't care what anybody says uh, about if it, even though it was a loss, he he was the only reason this wasn't an eight to two game or a nine yeah. to two game with the performance tonight. Eddie, what is going on with this Ducks team? They cannot seem to get things going lately, and they're still pulling out points. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this was always going to be a tough game. We knew it was going to be a difficult game against the Jets, but the fact that they grind out a point, and you know, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of got two sides to it, right? It's great they were able to grind out a point in a game that they definitely didn't deserve one, and the only reason they're in it is because of John Gibson. But at the same time, this was supposed to be a measuring stick game against one of the best teams in the NHL, uh, and they failed. Completely. There was no question who the better team was throughout this entire game. And, you know, some of that is on the fact that Ryan Getzlaff was out with the flu. But you've got to have other guys step up when you're captain and, and arguably your best players out of the lineup. And nobody did that but John Gibson. He was the only guy who showed up to play tonight. You would, uh, As you just said, you would see no Getzloff in the lineup, no Manson in the lineup. Vermette draws in and Getzloff's absence. Grant gets the uh, top line boost. JT Brown is scratched, and Andy Walensky recently called up from the San Diego Goals is also scratched. Of course, Kevin Bieksa still out with hand surgery. You get Arvezo um, no- nominee from Anaheim anyway. Net with Gibby Hellebuck uh, also right up there and uh, challenging for Arvezo this year. I feel like he's been great. He would get the nod in net. It was a performance that uh, – 
the Ducks would probably rather forget. So yeah. let's unpack this in our three-period breakdown. Eddie, let's go ahead and start the show. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. I mean, I guess I guess we'll just get into it because <laughs> at this point it's you know, it's such a boring game and you had mentioned that to me throughout the game tonight and I think a lot of people felt the same way kind of carried over from the last game where the Ducks just didn't look that great and were able to come up with a win in that one and they didn't look great in this one and they're able to grind out a point and and like I had already mentioned today I mean it's good and bad at the same time you know they're getting points but they're not playing that well uh I would definitely agree with you on that one um and I meant boring from a Ducks fan perspective right I mean if you're a Jets fan this was a beautiful game played by your team, and you're just disappointed that the Ducks just wouldn't go away and were able to crack in two goals in regulation. But the story of this first period, and as everyone will will see, is just it's all Jets. All Jets. I just don't understand. The Ducks get on the board first, of all things, after Mark Shifley hits a crossbar, after Big Buff tried to do a wraparound. Derek Grant, his 11th goal of the year, on the power play, I believe it was his third power play goal in the season as well, as I heard from the broadcast. He just got a tip play there. He, un, he started the scoring. This was like a good sign for Anaheim. Uh, it was at a point-to-point pass, Pedersen to Lindholm, and Grant got his stick on it. Just a, uh, what do you call it there, just your typical strategy when you're talking about a power play, point-to-point shot on goal. Yeah, and I mean, elite uh, elite number one center Derek Grant strikes again. Uh, we had talked about this when he got his 10th goal. I mean, who thought he was going to get 10? Making a difference in this game, and he's the guy that's kind of been slotted in and out of that lineup. When guys get hurt, he's the guy that get, moves up and down. This game, he was playing with Henrique and Kasha. Obviously, this was on the power play, so he was kind of filling in for Getzloff on the power play as well. And he, you know, he cashes in, and you got to give him some credit because he has moved around more than anybody in this Ducks lineup throughout the season. He's pretty much been there since the start, and for him to get on the board, especially when the Ducks were struggling, uh, and this power play has been struggling, it's a very good sign. Yeah, that was a you know just something the Ducks needed. They had to get ahead on the score sheet early because they knew this was going to be a running gun game for the Jets. Jets would come right back. Ehlers with a perfect shot over John Gibson. I felt like uh, you could probably put this one on Beauchemin out there on defense. I know that uh, Lindholm was a little short getting to the play, but I felt like uh, it was just something that it was just misplayed. I would say gap control there for, for Bosch. And this is something that we've kind of seen all season. We kind of know what to expect from Beauchemin. But uh, Ehlers with just a perfect shot. I don't want to take too much away from him there. Nothing Gibby could do, and all of a sudden it's 1-1. Yeah, and this is where the Jets can hurt you when you've got guys like Ehlers and Shifley, Line A, Wheeler, Kyle Connor. I mean, their top six has transformed into one of the best in the National Hockey League in a matter of two or three years, pretty much, where all these guys have just kind of come up. 
And it, it's it's scary. And in this one, I guess you could say, like you said, it, it's a little bit on Boschman, but it was a perfect shot. Baylor's he waits out Gibson, kind of fakes him out, and then throws it right top corner. And there really wasn't much he could do. And and really, I, I mean, this was the only. You know, of, of course they get another one. Shifley does later on in the game, but Gibby, this was the only one I think he. You know, it is a perfect shot, but I kind of felt like he he might have done a little bit better there because he does get faked out by Ailers. But but again, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to get on John Gibson's back too much, especially with the performance he had in this game. No, you can't touch Giddy at all, man. You're going to get people coming after you after the way he's been performing since February 1st, as we talked about last show. Another lights-out performance tonight just wasn't enough. But in this first period, I mean, I just wrote in my notes over and over again, Jets are so dangerous, outskating Anaheim. Jets are swarming Gibby, (laughs) Gibby having to make a save after save. I mean, the highlight of this first period for the Ducks, besides the Derek Grant goal, was Gibby with just a massive toe save on Paul Stastny. Unreal. He was moving from right to left following the puck. It squirted free to Stastny. He had to go back to his right, and he gets a toe on it there to keep it 1-1. Yeah, and he was doing this all game. I mean, it's just unbelievable some of some of the saves he was making in this game, uh, and he just continues to dominate. And, and really, I mean, the, the last game, he got a shutout. When it was perfect timing because we were talking with Paul Campbell about John Gibson and the Vesna, and in this game, obviously they don't end up getting the win. But John Gibson, again, I mean, he was first, second, and third star in this game. He was just unbelievable. Thirty-nine save performance. What more can he do at this point? Really, like I mean, he's doing pretty much everything he can, and in some games that this team is just not behind him. No, this was one of those games. I mean, and the Ducks played the Jets well when they were in Anaheim and beat them. So yeah. I'm not sure what changed. I know we don't have, uh, or you know, the best center available when Ryan Getzloff is out with the flu, or flu-like symptoms, as they say. They will never confirm if he's sick. It's just maybe he has something. Um, yeah. You know, the typical run-of-the-mill <laughs> that uh, the coaching staff and manager won't leak anything out. Um, but yeah, he, they weren't behind Gibby tonight. Gibby had to, to steal a point. Um, atrocious first period for the Ducks. They were outchanced. Eight to two shot attempts were twenty-seven to six in favor of the Jets, and shots on goal were seventeen to four. The fact that they had a goal in this first period is unreal, and the fact that they're not down by three at least is unreal to me. This, I don't, I don't understand where this uh, team's head at head is at right now. These past couple of games, but they need to fix this. Um, this was a great measuring stick, and although they got a point, they just didn't show up at all. And this first period was was terrible, and it would just be more things to come in the second. Yeah, I mean, that's the word of the game, I think. It was unreal the Ducks were able to even get a point out of this. Just, I mean, this is... And when you look at the underlying stats, this is one of the worst games the Ducks have played, and somehow they come on the other side with a one point. And, I mean, we had talked about this on, on pretty much every show leading up to this one. We knew this was going to be the toughest game of their upcoming road trip and even in in their last what their last six or seven games this is the one we kind of booked in as it's going to be the toughest game and it it lived up to the expectations and the Ducks played an awful game and and were able to escape with the point I'm not you know I'm not necessarily disappointed um in the game because that's what we wanted was them to get one point against a very strong team I just felt like they could have put up a better fight and like like we've already said multiple times, it was a measuring stick game. And now you just look and you see this huge gap between the Nashvilles, the Winnipegs, the, the Tampa Bay, Boston, and then Anaheim. 
based off this game, and I know it's just one game, it's a small sample size, Ryan Getzlaff wasn't playing tonight, but really this was just a poor showing. It was. And let's get into the second period because I want to get through this so we can kind of break down what we have to look forward to because this was just so, you know, like we said, just such a hard game to watch. Right away in the second period, just an unreal play by Wheeler. He dangles Fowler and dishes over to Shifley, who somehow disappears from Brandon Montour's radar. I don't know what this pairing was doing on this play. I know everyone makes mistakes. They've been great lately, so I'm not trying to bash them too much. But that has got to be just one of the worst shifts by that Fowler-Montour line. As Shifley was able to one-time the, the nice pass by Wheeler, we all see why he leaves the NHL in assists. And now it's 2-1. to one. I, You can't fault Gibby at all on this. It's all on that pairing on this shift. And we, we've seen that from Fowler multiple times where we've kind of said, you know, that pairing's been so great, but there's sometimes where Fowler just loses his guy and he kind of just forgets who he's supposed to be covering. And a lot of times it leads to a goal. And in, in this case it was he, he got dangled by Wheeler, and uh, Shifley's wide open, and you can't do that against this these top two guys. I mean, these are the top two guys on this team. Wheeler has 62 assists. He's leading the NHL. I would have never expected that from a guy like Blake Wheeler, but here we are, and he dishes it to Shifley, which, I mean, the only good thing on that goal is it helped my fantasy team. So, hey, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the playoffs right now. I need some points where I can get them. I mean, I hear that. I mean, I, I would never root for anyone against the Ducks, so I don't know why you would... <laughs> Ever admit that live on your show. But uh, moving on, Wheeler and Line A would connect on the power play, but if not for Gibby with an, just an unreal glove arm save, I guess you could say, he goes down and drops and puts that glove and puts it right on top of the pad, denying Patrick Line, um, who's a beast on the power play, has 19 power play goals going into this game. And he was held off. With, I don't know if he's held off the score sheet, but I know he didn't score tonight. The Ducks yeah. did a number on him. He had five shots on goal. I felt like he was dangerous all night despite this save. And it just goes to show you that this was all on John Gibson. He had to pick this team up on his back, and he had to carry him through this because there's no way that they were going to be able to outskate this Jets team. It was just not going to happen tonight. How was Line even in the game tonight? I, I mean, I watched him block that shot. I think it was in the Kings game. And he was in considerable pain left. Today we heard that he was going to be out a couple weeks, and all of a sudden he's in the game, and he's playing considerable minutes for the Jets. I mean, luckily the Ducks were able to keep him off the score sheet, but I don't even know how he's in the game. I mean, when you're you're already in a playoff spot, essentially, I don't know why you risk it. I mean, unless the guy's obviously 100% healthy, but it's just interesting how it goes from he's out a couple weeks to, oh, he's, he's in tonight's game. Yeah, and he would hit a post later in this period. And, I mean, if, if not for John Gibson then you're talking about Blake Wheeler getting his 65th assist uh, total this season. He has 64 after oh, this sorry. game. Yeah. No, no, no. no. We, he had 62 going in. Now he has 64 after tonight's game. I just wanted three. to clarify that we were updating the stats. Yeah. My goodness. He's just been unreal. And that, my note in here just kind of sums up how the first two periods went. I said this is men playing against boys. Yeah. It was just the way <laughs> the game looked. I mean, you look at the the stat line, not even fancy stats. You're just looking at this just from a general fan perspective. The Ducks had to block 24 shots, and they had 19 giveaways. That is not going to win you many games in hockey hockey at all, no matter what level you're playing at. You give the puck away that many times, it's just not going to happen. You give give the puck away to guys, you're just skating circles around you. That's an even bigger problem. Um, It was all John Gibby and Cogliano. 
would almost score on a play in the second period, redirects a pass as he's all alone in front of the net. Somehow Cogliano was unseen in the slot, and Hellebuck was almost asleep, but not all the way asleep as he got over a little bit. I don't know if he nudged the puck a little, but it hits the post. Cogs was unable to convert there. It remains 2-1 to one in this second period. And lo and behold, we would have to have another conversation about John Gibson as he makes a spectacular glove save on Patrick Line. Gibby's on fire at this point, Eddie. I don't know if I can say his name anymore without complimenting him, but I feel like we're going to have to going into the third. Yeah, it's going to be like that pretty much for the rest of the season. We had said that uh, with no back-to-back games until the final two games of the season, we're likely to see John Gibson for every game up until that point. And depending on how important those last two games come to be, we could see him in back-to-back situation because he's just been that good. I mean, that's why all the, the talk right now is about John Gibson and the Vesna. Uh, that's all Ducks Twitter, Ducks on, on Reddit, Facebook, everywhere. That's all everybody's talking about for good reason because he's just been that good and he should be in the discussion. He, you know, he's been just as good, if not better, than, than Rene in some cases. And this is just a, another showing. where We're going to say it multiple times when we review the third period, after and so on, next game from now. It, it's, it's really going to be all good. John Gibson if the Ducks are going to get into the playoffs. No, it's true, and he would make one more highlight reel save. This one on Tyler Myers, who we have not seen make this kind of move since he's come from Buffalo, right? You, you don't yeah. see him making these types of plays with Winnipeg, but he walks around Derek Grant, no problem off the blue line. Tyler Myers is a big man. I don't know <laughs> yeah. how you, you miss him making that play. No. Throws a nice backhand shot right dead center in the slot. Gibby has to come up with, again, another glove save on this one before the period would close out. Yeah, he's not a guy you normally would put in anywhere you'd see him walking around anyone because, I mean, he's 6'8". He doesn't really walk around anybody. He kind of just, like, lanks around. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was it was great save by Gibby, but I feel like, getting a little bit off topic, but Myers is kind of like that underrated big guy because we always hear about Chara, and we always talk about how he's 6'9", and he's just massive. But Myers is an inch shorter than him, and I don't think we ever hear about it. But I just thought it was interesting. I wonder if it's like a numbers thing, right? I don't know if Tyler Myers has the same sort of career numbers that yeah, Chara has. You have to go look at his stat line. He's got he's got thirty four points this season. We'll see. Now we've brought it up, we might as well look at it. Yeah, I just feel like I mean, as as we always talk about Chara being the big guy, and like Myers is a massive. He's a massive guy, and and he hasn't really got much much recognition since he came over from Buffalo. So I just I thought it was interesting because like I would never want to go up against him, and and I think uh, the broadcast was saying it was Myers and Bufflin out at one time and you've got a guy who's 6'8", 220 and a guy who's like 6'5", 265 in Bufflin. That's a scary duo to go in front if, you, if you're crashing that or anywhere close to that. I don't want to be up against those two guys ever. No, Bufflin is a monster. We've seen that guy just throw people to the ice. <laughs> no problem at all. He's able to grab two guys at the same time and, and chuck them. That guy's a scary man. Um, Tyler Myers, just to kind of close... Uh, the books on him here, his highest producing season point-wise was his first year in the NHL. He had 11 goals, 37 assists, 48 points. He's never hit 40 points since then. In fact, he's only had over 30 points two times, and that's one of them this season. Yeah, I I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like he's had injuries at at some point where he's kind of trailed off a bit, if I remember correctly, but 
there was a lot of hype around him in his first season with Buffalo, and then, of course, all the things that ended up leading to him getting traded out of Buffalo to Winnipeg. I feel like he's just getting back to that point. I don't want to stick on this too long because I don't think any of you guys want to hear us talk about Tyler Myers for 20 minutes. No. I just wanted to bring it up because I, I you know, I for, I'd forgotten going into this game that he was six eight until it was brought up because you just don't really hear about it that much as much as you hear about Char being the the massive guy around the league. No, it's, that's one hundred percent true. Going into the third period, the game is two to one. Jets have the shot advantage in that period, sixteen to six and thirty three to ten overall. It's a miracle the Ducks are even in this game, as we've said multiple times. Kyle Connor, a guy who has been making noise this season for sure just is having an unreal game. He has just been all over the ice in this game. Gibby had to make another grade-A chance on him, uh, make a save, rather, on the grade-A chance. I don't know how Connor was only just given one goal this game. He had five shots. Yeah. He tied Patrick Laine for shots on goal this game on the Winnipeg Jets. How do you feel about kind of Kyle Connor? I know you like him, but, I mean, yeah. did you know he was going to come up and do this kind of damage once he got to the NHL? I I remember when he got drafted and there was a you know there's a lot of buzz that they got a steal taking him where they did I think it was like 17th or something and and they took him uh, after a lot of guys that went off the board that he probably should have went before was having a great season with Michigan the NCAA and he just continued from there and and now he's finally solidified his spot on this team after ripping up the AHL the last few seasons and lately he's just been unbelievable he's got six goals in his last five games had both in the winning uh the winner in overtime against la the other night i mean this kid's just gonna score goals he's got 28 now he's one or i think it'd be 27 28 or 27 he's one behind brock besser who obviously has been out for a considerable amount of time but this kid is unbelievable and the winnipeg jets just continue to find guys like like i said at the beginning of the show this top six that they have now you look at it a couple of years ago, it was nowhere close to this. You've added Line, you've added Kyle Connor. Shifley stepped up into being an elite player. All of a sudden, Blake Wheeler's uh, one of the top playmakers in the National Hockey League. It's just, it's kind of turned out to be an unbelievable, one of the most deadly top six in the National Hockey League. I, I, it's just scary. And I, you know, I, I like Kyle Connor. You know, he, he's a guy who's kind of underrated, has come up, uh, is now making a name for himself. Not, nobody's going to beat Barzell out of the Calder, but I think he's a guy who should definitely get, you know, some second or third place votes. I'd agree with that, man. He was very, very noticeable tonight. I wrote here, the Ducks just keep getting steamrolled, can't get out of their own zone. There was 16 minutes to go in this game, and the shot advantage was 35 to 11. It means the Ducks had one shot in the first four minutes. Um, I just I feel like they needed more pressure in this game at some point. I know that they couldn't find a way to generate it. And that was a huge issue in this game. For whatever reason, they weren't able to, like, I guess they were talking about coming out and hitting this Jets team. And that's why the Jets were doing so well against them. They need to put bodies on these players. It's pretty tough to do when your team is considerably slower than the Winnipeg Jets. That's an issue that Anaheim has faced several times this season against the likes of Nashville or the likes of Vegas or now looking at the Winnipeg Jets team. That's not a great thing for your team to be showing is that we're at the end of the year, this is playoff mode, and you can't skate with the with the teams that are at the top of the league. That's not a good sign going into the playoffs or trying to make the playoffs, rather. And that's how this would go. I mean, if not for Gibby, again, as we've been talking about, just holding down the fort as he has been all season, this would easily be an 8-2 to two game. But the Ducks would get a break in this third period. Nick Ritchie 
a guy that we've talked about a lot recently about how we feel like he's needs to step up and make something happen. Well, in this one, he does. Blocks a shot. He's off on a two-on-one. Elects to shoot. Hellebuck looked like he had the puck. He catches it. I don't know if it got his top of his pads or like his like his chest area, but it rolls down as he drops. Squeaks between the five hole and goes in the net. Just trickled through his legs. That was great because we needed Nick Ritchie to step up and score, and he finally does, tying the game in the third period. I mean, Hellebuck fell asleep on that play, right? I mean, he had faced nothing <laughs> up until that point. This, I mean, he almost let in the one against Cogliano that you said he had fallen asleep, and I mean, at this point, the shots were just so lopsided that I feel like he had seen no action in the longest, probably about 10, 15 minutes, he had seen really no quality scoring chances, and uh, Richie just squeaks this one through. Uh, I mean, I tried to put it out on, on Twitter during the game, and I, I tried, I misspelled Hellbuck about 50 times before I just gave up and just randomly spewed some letters out there and hoped that I got close. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was a sloppy play. I mean, uh, we've had him, when we were talking to Paul Campbell, in our discussion up there for a guy who should be considered for the Vesna, him, Bobrovsky, Rene, Vasilevsky, Gibson, they're all the guys in that discussion. He didn't have to be great in this game, wasn't really that great, but when the Ducks are getting like two or three scoring chances in the game, I mean, what are you supposed to do? I, I mean, at, at some point you're just going to get bored back there, and, and he really looked like that on this goal. No, he did. The Ducks had three shots on goal after that Nick Ritchie goal. They were about, just about ten minutes into the third period. The rest of the way, it was all John Gibson. I mean, yeah. just Gibson, 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 save after save after save. Who was the breakaway he saved? on in the third period do you remember who that was towards the end oh man i i might have put I it go out. back and look i, I feel like i put it who out had there. that break i'm gonna was it, I'm was gonna it kyle connor <laughs> it i mean it wouldn't be surprised uh it was after it was after the richie goal right yeah after the richie goal Gibby had to make a breakaway uh, uh, another breakaway save keeps the ducks in it forcing this game into overtime single-handedly carrying this team on his back as we've said this whole post-game show, all John Gibson, all Vesna. That's what, that's what we're talking about here in Anaheim is we want him to get some recognition. He absolutely deserves it. End of regulation, we got a 2-2 score going to OT. I was very happy with this boring uh, performance by our Ducks to even get a point to somehow squeak in yeah. to overtime here to keep pace with the rest of the Pacific Division. John Gibson just held this down. And going into overtime, I could kind of feel like it was going to be the Jets game just because they dominated this so much. I felt like they only needed one chance. And unfortunately, that's all they really got in overtime. The Ducks with a few chances. And all it would take was one shot on goal. And it would be none other than the guy who dominated this game. Kyle Connor strikes on a two-on-one break with Mark Shifley. Did you feel like Fowler overplays this on the strong side and Shifley thread the needle over to Connor yeah. and he was able to cash in? I felt like Fowler didn't need to go to the strong side, leave the weak side open, and and, and then all of a sudden Connor's in alone. They moved away from what they were doing well up to up until that point in overtime where they, were, they weren't really pressing the play. They were sitting back, exiting the zone if they had to. And then Fowler gets, I think, a little bit too aggressive, overcommits. And you know, obviously, ends up making a mistake that leads to essentially a three-on-one the other way. Kyle Connor goes in on a breakaway, and I, I, you know, unless Gibby was going to make another amazing save, I think Kyle Connor was due in this game for a goal. 
And uh, of course, he makes it pay. But I, again, on a, on a normal game, if the Ducks had played a good game, I would have been a little bit more disappointed that they could have got two points out of this one. But the fact that it was so lopsided and it was amazing that they were able to even get one point. Like, if you had told me at the beginning of the game that without Getzlaff and the Ducks were outshot, what was it, 41 to 17 or something close like to, to that, that they were able to get a, get a point against the Jets. I would have been happy. I would have taken it no matter what. Even even though it sucks to lose in overtime. You you look at tonight. I mean, Dallas lost. They were up 2 nothing. They blew a 2 nothing lead. Lost in regulation. Big points for the Ducks to pick up a point on them. And they're sitting for in the first wildcard spot right now. So it, it's a huge point. And we're happy, I think, going into this show. The fact that the Ducks are able to pick up a point against Winnipeg. No, I, that's that's true. Pulling positives out of the, out of the game that was all negative. I appreciate that because you don't want to dwell yeah. on the fact they <laughs> lost this game because we expected the loss and they, the fact they got a point's great news. But that Brandon Montour and Cam Fowler, yes, they played tough minutes and yes, they played against the Jets' top players. So it's expected you're going to get burned a couple of times, and that's exactly what happened. Montour and Fowler got burned on the second goal and then they got burned again on this or Fowler rather got burned on this overtime goal. Yeah. You know, I see what Fowler was thinking there. If he's able to intercept that play, then it's a break the other way, a three on one. So mm-hmm. you, you make a risk. He's an offensive minded player. You take a risk. Exactly, rather than make yeah. a risk. You take a risk and you try to move that puck forward to get your team that chance. And he just, it didn't happen for him this game. Um, he's been great. I don't want to, I don't want to pick on him too much. And this is a, just a, a team that's in another world right now. And the Jets, they're just playing out at that next level. The Ducks are just hoping they can even scratch at the surface, of, the surface of rather, to get a point out of it. It's a loss. Now let's move on. Let's get to our post game. We got to talk about a couple of things. I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the update to Terry and his ability. Maybe Troy Terry coming to Anaheim. There was some news put out by Corey Pronman. What is going on with our prospect, Eddie? Yeah, so there was a, I guess it was, I think it was an article that Corey Broadman put out uh, on The Athletic where he had mentioned, uh, somebody had asked him about Henrik Borgstrom, uh, Troy Terry, and Dylan Gambrell out of Denver um, to see if they were going to sign, if there's any updates on them, because they all have uh, teams that they would be looking to sign for. Henrik Borgstrom, obviously a prospect of Florida and a highly touted prospect, so he said that uh, they're all signing once Denver is done. Now, not necessarily said they're all signing with the teams that have their rights, but you would assume that's what he meant, which I guess is a good sign. I mean, we would hope that he ends up signing with Anaheim. We all have bad memories of Justin Schultz and him ditching Anaheim and, and heading over to Edmonton. So I think that's what a lot of people are wary about because nobody wants to lose Troy Terry because he has a lot of upside. Uh, Denver currently is in the NCAA tournament. Uh, their games are basically if you, you lose, you're out, you win, you go on. So he, he's essentially, he could be one game away from being able to, to sign and come to Anaheim, or he could be a couple games away depending on how well his team does. Denver is supposed to go a long way, so we'll have to wait and see. But I think it's good news to finally hear something that it looks like he will sign with the Ducks when he's done. Uh, and maybe we actually see him play. I mean, the most recent guy is, is Ryan Donato. In Boston, he after his uh, NCAA season was over, he signs a contract, plays I think the next day, and he had four points in his first two games with the Bruins. Didn't pick up a point tonight, but you can't complain when you've got that kind of production coming from a guy you probably didn't expect to be in your lineup. No, that's true. So that would just segue directly into my next comment to you, Troy Terry. Um, the opportunity to come to Anaheim is you and I kind of said 
prior to this, we, we didn't think so. At least I know I didn't think he'd be seen up here just because that top nine is so solidified. But with this stagnant offense continuing for Anaheim, do you feel like the uh, the spotlight was on this team with Getzloff out? It just really showed to me how much Raquel and, and Perry rely on guys like Ryan Getzloff to carry this team yeah. uh, offensively against like, such a top-end team in the Jets. Any sort of offense would help, be it from a guy who's never played in an NHL game if he has a chance to do it. As you just said, Donato showed that he was capable in Boston. Do you foresee that? I know you said maybe, but do you foresee yeah. a guy like Carlisle who doesn't really like young guys, it seems like, is going to trust a guy like Troy Terry when this team's not solidified in the playoff position? Yeah, it's tough because you know we've, we've seen the Ducks call up a lot of young guys before, but it's always been in a situation where they've either clinched or are they're pretty much in a situation like the Jets are now where they haven't clinched, but they're going to get in. And we haven't seen the Ducks in this position in, in, in a long time, so... It would be interesting. I, I I think it's kind of different in the fact that normally we'd, we'd see a lot of guys come up in San Diego or Norfolk at the time. We're not in a playoff spot. We'd see a lot of guys get called up and just given some shots. I don't see that this year, at least with the AHL. The Troy Terry one is an interesting situation because I, I think they believe he's ready to step into the NHL and make a difference. And, and, you know, everybody likes to look around the league and look at some similar players. And, and of course, we're talking about Ryan Donato again. And seeing how successful he's been with Boston right off the bat, that helps Troy Terry's case in getting in the lineup with the Ducks. You talked about Getzlaff and him not being in the lineup, how it kind of shows that uh, how much Raquel and Perry rely on him. I, you know, I agree with that. I think it's a small sample size, of course, against a very good Winnipeg Jets team, but it's it's expected. I mean, Ryan Getzlaff is is the Ducks' best player. We talk about all the time how he can slow down the game and control the offense, and it makes things a lot easier for Corey Perry and and Ricard Raquel. And I was honestly disappointed how none of them really looked like they were in the game tonight. And, I mean, that was the same for pretty much everybody but John Gibson. But when you have your best player out of the lineup, you expect those guys to step up and try and control the play. And they didn't. I didn't notice Ricard Raquel much at all. Perry at times, but really not enough when you're looking to for somebody to step up in, in his absence. No, that's true, man. I'd have to absolutely agree with you there. And uh, just to comment on uh, Chase Perez in our chat, he said Fowler makes the right choice on the ice. Nine out of ten times he made a mistake. Everyone does. I agree with that. And that's why I said I want to beat him up too much. Um, Obviously, he overplayed it trying to create offense. Can't kill the guy on there. It was just just noticeable for me that his uh, defensive pairing just kind of had the trouble tonight. And like you said, though, this top six for Winnipeg is just so damn good. They're going to burn just about everybody. And they have this NHL season. So, Throw this one away, you think, and uh, head and look over to Edmonton. Is that yeah. kind of where you, you're thinking here? I feel like that might be the idea in the Anaheim locker room because they were severely outplayed. Why not just throw the tape away and get to work and focus on Sunday? I think so. Uh, I think if it was against maybe a worse team, you would say, hey, we got to look into this a little bit more. And it doesn't mean they shouldn't, but Winnipeg's just on another level. And we've talked about how... You know, the elite teams just seem to be that one step or two steps above the Ducks. And I don't think they should look too hard into this one. You didn't have your best player. You didn't have your captain. You know, you're playing one of the better teams in the National Hockey League. Throw it away. Be happy you got a point. Go into Edmonton and, and really look to rebound from what was a bad game. And it should be a must-win, despite Connor McDavid playing out of his mind. 
he just wills the Oilers to wins when it doesn't look like they should win games. He had a four-point night the other night in a win at the, that the Oilers had. So you know that they're going to have to be wary of Connor McDavid. But it, it has to be a must-win, especially with how disappointing this game is and how disappointing the game against the Flames, despite it being a win. The Ducks were just on the opposite end of shot attempts, bleeding shot attempts throughout the entire game. They didn't really have any momentum in either game. So they're going to have to look to turn that around because some things were looking up. I mean, we, the New Jersey game was arguably their best game of the season where they really didn't have a time where they, they turned it off. They dominated the entire game. And then we went into Calgary and Winnipeg, and, and it's just the complete opposite. Do you feel like this is on the coaching staff? I mean, I know that they don't lace them up and, and skate. Yeah. You know, it, you got to make your players do what you're telling them to do, whatever instruction you're giving. So I know there's some fault in the players, obviously. But do you feel like this pretty much falls on Randy Carlisle and his staff to try to figure out what's going on here, watch game tape, do something with how they're structuring their defense or how they're structuring the flow from defense to offense? Is that something you think that needs to be looked at, or are these just a couple of clunker games that we need to move on from? Uh, I think it's a mix of both. Uh, I think it's definitely something I have to look at because, you know, I think the difference here on the road than at home is the Ducks weren't able to get the matchups that they wanted. And you look at that New Jersey game, they were really able to get all the favorable matches, of course, because they get the last change. So they're able to put whoever else they want over the boards to match up with the New Jersey players. In this one, you know, the Jets got all the matchups they could have wanted, especially in the Calgary game as well. You had uh, Calgary getting all the favorable matchups. Didn't work out for them in that game, luckily, for the Ducks. But I think it's a mix of that and then Carlo not really adjusting to that and trying to change things up in the game and really out-coach Paul Maurice, you didn't see any of that. He just kind of let it happen. He just threw Fowler and Montour out there against Shifley and Wheeler and said, well, I, I hope you guys can do something because we, we need we need somebody needs to shut them down the way they're playing. And, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's tough because I, I don't want to put all the blame on Carlisle and, and the coaching staff. I feel like they're partly to blame. Of course, the players are again. But I, I, like you already said, I kind of just want to throw this game out the window because you had no Getzlaff. It's against one of the better teams. I want to see how they do against Edmonton and Vancouver on the rest of this road trip and see if it continues to be a problem. I'd agree with you on that. You have no Gutsloff, and as Chase pointed out in our chat, you also had no Josh Manson still, yeah. which would kind of segue us into this next part here. The Manson update has come around. He's been seen with skates on, Eddie. There's a chance. There's mm-hmm. something brewing in the Ducks locker room that is saying that Manson may play soon. Uh, he was seen in practice, correct? Yes, he was uh, hitting the ice at practice. The Ducks have a CBA day off tomorrow, so Randy Carlisle said he'll see how Manson does over the next 24 to 48 hours to see if he's ready to go in Edmonton, which I think is a good sign because you'd assume if he's not ready to go in Edmonton or if they're even considering for the game, he's probably fully ready to go against Vancouver at the latest. That's all good news. Got to ask you about him. There's been a lot of talk around the league, especially early on, that you know because Manson was putting up some offensive numbers, albeit a lot of them, as people were saying. And correctly so, there were second assists. But there are points nonetheless, meaning he's driving offensive play when he's on the ice. Is he one of the most underrated defensemen in the NHL right now? Yeah, I, f- I feel like it. I mean, I would have to dig deeper into some different guys. But just off the top of my head, I, I feel like he's definitely one of the guys that has to be an underrated guy. Not just offensively, but just in his overall game. I mean, his offense has jumped up this year. Of course, a lot of it is just some noise and, and secondary assists, but that means he's still at least contributing 
to the offense. Uh, of course, right before he went out of the lineup, he picked up an assist in that the last game against New Jersey. So uh, I, I got to say so. I, I think it's worth digging into a little bit deeper, and it's maybe something we can you know dive into for another show where we can really bring up some other names of some guys who are underrated. But he has to be in that discussion. No, I, I agree with you, man. I feel like he's just a guy who's quietly having himself a great start to his career. He's got a lot of years ahead of him. He's a huge piece on this Anaheim blue line, and yeah. he's going to be for years to come as he just signed that deal that kicks in next year. I would definitely go with the fact that he's underrated. Um, he doesn't get talked about enough, and he's also that that guy on the blue line that will step up and who's mobile. He has no problem dropping the gloves from time to time, too. He's got that nastiness streak in him like his dad, Dave Manson. Yeah, um, I I love that type of player. I think it's a, just a good fit for the system. But the fact that he's mobile just makes the biggest difference in the world because you got guys like Bosch and Bieksa who have no problem stepping up, making a hit, and making a play. And you know we all know Bieksa can fight. We love his Superman punch. But uh, I feel like uh, just having a guy who can do that, but also be uh, mobile and have the offensive talent, is just the added bonus and really makes him impressive. That he's just flying under the radar is kind of funny. But then again. So is John Gibson, and he's having a, the, you know, the performance of his career this season. So no surprise that these guys don't get enough attention. I kind of want to hit the chat for a second, if that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, bring up what uh, Matthew Bernier asks in our chat. He asked about almost 30 minutes ago. He said, what was the most disappointed point of the game for you guys? What was your most disappointing point of the game, Eddie? You know, it, it, the entire game was just awful from the beginning. <laughs> So it it's hard it's hard to just pick the one. whole thing. It, it's it's really hard to pick one because the Ducks were just lackluster throughout the entire game. But I I have to go with the the second goal by the Jets. Just the poor play from Fowler and, and Montour together that led to that goal. It you know it it was uh, it felt like it was always coming the way the Jets were playing. But I felt like it was it could have been avoidable. And and the Ducks. If they had to held on and continued the same way, and of course things could have gone different if it stayed at 1-1, but you look at it, at, at if uh, it continued like that, that Richie goal is essentially a goal that puts you ahead. Uh, and really, you know, the Ducks beat themselves on that goal. The Jets didn't really have to do much. Fowler got out of position and got dangled by Wheeler, and it's a it's essentially a tap-in for Shifley. So I think that would probably be the most disappointing point of the game for me. For me, would be the shot share. Uh, what I mean by that is the the course yeah. for and against in this game. This is overall eighty three attempts on net for the Jets. <laughs> eighty three attempts on net to the Ducks thirty five. That's just got to be the nastiest stat of the night. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that John Gibson finishes with a nine two nine save percentage just shows you what kind of night he was facing and how good a performance he had. Um, another question in the chat is quacking. Steve says Dallas blows a two nothing lead, as you said earlier, Eddie, and and losing regulation. Are the Ducks getting lucky at the right time? I would say so. How about you? Yeah, I, I mean tonight for sure. Uh, you know, you and the Ducks got lucky to get that one point. Then you also get lucky that Dallas doesn't pick up a point on you. But then you go back to last night. You have LA blowing out Colorado. I think it was seven to two and picking up points there were against a Colorado team where you were hoping that they would have probably stole some points from L.A. But again, that's in that game, 
whoever wins that game, the Ducks kind of win and lose because they picked up some points on Colorado, which now allows them, for the time being, to be in the first wild card spot, which is obviously ten times better than being in the second wild card spot and having to face Nashville. Uh, and you also had San Jose winning in overtime uh, against Vegas last night. So they're picking up some luck tonight. I think last night they were unlucky. But you can't rely on other teams to get the job done for you. The Ducks have to continue to win games against teams they should be beating, especially these next two games. You can kind of write this one off, like we had said, being it, being it against a team as good as the Jets. But there's no excuse if you go out and you have another game like this against the Oilers or against the, the Canucks. Those are games you have to win, you have to play well, and you have to pick up two points. I agree with you 100%. Gordon Bombay, the ever-present uh, person in our chat, throws the question out. Would you extrapolate this game into a seven-game series, or do you think Anaheim's experience plus the abilities of Manson and Getzloff equalize in a playoff situation? You, let, you can take the crack at that one. i gotta, I got to read this question again. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think with Manson and Getzloff, I think it does equalize it out a bit. Uh, I, I would still think the Jets have the edge. I just think they have the better team. I think the goaltending is, is relatively equal. John Gibson and, and Hellebuck are both great, young, and, and I'm sure you're going to mention American goaltenders. So Absolutely, sir. <laughs> I, I take think, that every night. Yeah, I think it's pretty even there. I think the Ducks might take a slight edge in the blue line, although the bottom pairing for Winnipeg is, is a lot better than the bottom pairing for Anaheim. Uh, How but dare you talk about Holzer that way? <laughs> come on, man. I mean... They they've got some flaws in, in Winnipeg on their blue line as well, but when you're when you're icing Boschman and Holzer uh, and BX on a regular basis when they're in the lineup, uh, there, there's definitely an issue there. I think the, the where Winnipeg wins is that top six and really just the depth and forward they have all together, and they've had guys step up the entire season. So I, I think that's where they take the edge, but it definitely equalizes out. I mean, we're talking about how underrated Josh Manson is. He's a huge part to this top four on the blue line, and and he's really. Hampus Lindholm's right-hand man. And, and for Hampus Lindholm not to have him, it's definitely difficult. And for the Ducks to not have Getzlaff, uh, it completely changes up the way they, they approach their offense. I, I mean, their offense was anemic tonight other than the couple chances they had. And, and a lot of that is due to Ryan Getzlaff not being in the lineup. I think they have a better chance with both in the team. But I think Winnipeg's just on another level. And I, I hate saying that because... I do have a lot of faith in this Ducks team to make some noise if they get into the playoffs just because of, of the guys they have and, and the play of John Gibson. But, you know, Winnipeg proved tonight they're on a whole nother level, even with Getzloff and Manson on the lineup. The Ducks are just a funny team in 2018 so far. They came out of the gates into the new year and had an outstanding record and were one of the hottest teams, you know, coming out of the Christmas break. And something, I don't know what it was, has changed recently. And I feel like sometimes you just don't have it all to give every night. And, you know, like you said, it might be a mix of both. Maybe they're just having a bad game, plus this Jets team's dominant. I agree with you, though. I think this Ducks team getting into the playoffs could be dangerous. I mean, yeah. they have world-class goaltending. They have a great and solid and mobile top four on defense. And then they have Ryan Getzloff that drives the offense. And you have the trigger guy with Raquel. If that Henrique line can start going again, that's where this team really starts to be dangerous because Getzloff, Raquel, and Perry, when they're all together, um, as we've seen these past few games, 
even if they're not scoring all the goals, they are getting a ton of chances. They just need one of those other lines to click, and I would really feel that uh, that Henrique line is the one to look at just because of the way Kessler's still recovering and Silverberg and Cogdown are just kind of having down years. I would really hope that that third line, quote-unquote, is the one that gets moving here and helps this Ducks team and propels them into this playoffs because they're going to need it. They need to go on a little bit of a run here. They're running into some trouble uh, with these fast teams, but they've shown they can beat these teams. So I wouldn't count them out. I know that we've been really harsh about this Anaheim team, and I know this is a Ducks podcast, so I want you to know we love them. But uh, we can't just be complete homers and say they played a great game tonight and John Gibson had a great game and what a play by Nick Ritchie on that goal. It's like a lot of things had to go right for Anaheim tonight to squeak out with a point. And although we're very appreciative of that, there's some things to work on. Um, How do you feel how they match up right now against Edmonton just to look ahead? I, I think it's a favorable matchup, to be honest. I think it's, it's the question when you always play Edmonton is what kind of Connor McDavid are you going to get on that night? Uh, there's times where he's good, but that team is so bad that it doesn't matter. He can't really will them to a win. And then you look at the game they had against Ottawa the, the, the other night where you know they had a convincing 6-2 win, but a lot of it is on Connor McDavid and his four points on that night. So you never know what Oilers team you're going to get. And I think the same extends to goal for them as well in, in Cam Talbot. I mean, he's obviously struggled this year, but there are times where he can flash back to the success he had last year. So I think they match up well. Getzlaff has to be back in the lineup, or it's going to be very difficult for the Ducks to shut down Connor McDavid and get any offense going back the other way, unless, like you said, the Henry Kasher and Richie Line can step up. So I think that's a big thing. You would assume he's back. I mean, it is just the flu that he has, and hopefully it doesn't extend over into this next game. Because, you know, this isn't as big as a game you would expect. At this point, if you would have looked at the beginning of the season and said, well, the Oilers and the Ducks are playing, you know, a late March game, this is probably going to have some meaning to who's going to win the Pacific Division. And it, uh, it hasn't played out that way, where the Oilers are completely eliminated from a playoff spot and the Ducks are just hanging on. But uh, it's going to be tough, and and it's only tough because of Connor McDavid. He's the guy that everyone's waiting to see what he's going to do night in and night out. He can take over a game. You're right. The Ducks are definitely going to need Ryan Getzloff back in the lineup. I feel like he'll be back in unless he's got some ridiculous cold or flu that's going around because he only had symptoms. We don't know if he's really sick. He might just have the sniffles and they're playing his safe, Um, just the way the coaching staff likes to talk about it. I joke, um, obviously sick, but Edmonton (laughs) on Sunday – we got Vancouver on Tuesday, L.A. on Friday. I'm going to go ahead and throw a wrench in what I normally say and what the obvious pick of the game of the week would be, the nasty game. And I'm going to say that nasty game is going to be Tuesday against Vancouver because I don't want to spoil all the fun that could be had on Friday like I did last week when I said the Calgary yeah. <laughs> game was maybe the game of the week. And that was a dud. The Ducks somehow won for nothing. So this Vancouver team has already lost to Anaheim by the time they play them, almost two weeks prior, 3 nothing at Honda Center. This should be another game where the Ducks are able to walk in and take two points. Eddie, do you see it any other way? No, I don't. Um, I hope it's a better game than the last time they played against Vancouver where they were able to come up with a 3 nothing win, but they didn't necessarily play uh, that great, which is weird to say when you, you come up with a 3 nothing win, but... Uh, I, th- I think they need to play better, and, and Brock Best is still in the lineup for them, so that's a, that's a huge boost for the Ducks, uh, but you can't take them lightly. I mean, we had mentioned this last time the Ducks were going to play Vancouver, that teams like to play spoiler at this point in the season, especially when you're playing in the same division, and the, the Canucks are no, no, uh, no different than any other team. They're going to want 
to hurt the Ducks and take points away, and you're going into their home barn, so it's going to be difficult. But if you had to pick a game that was going to be the easiest to win, essentially, I would have to say it's against Vancouver. They're probably the best matchup for the Ducks out of the next three games coming up against Edmonton and L.A., so it's got to be a must uh, must win two pointer and and I I feel you making that the game that could be the the feistiest just trying to to not overhype the game against LA like we did against Calgary because turned out to be disappointing we both thought it was going to be a feisty game against the Flames uh, and there was nothing going on whatsoever nope it was a dud um, but at least the Ducks got the points there this game next Friday this is the one that I've had marked on my calendar for a long time just because it's been a while since you've seen the Kings. It's at Honda Center. This is a huge game. It's just funny how this always works out at the end of the season. You only have teams fighting for a playoff spot. They're playing each other at the end of the year, and this has got all the implication of a playoff game. I feel like um, this is probably going to go Anaheim's way just because they've been able to play against L.A. so well as of late. I would not be surprised at all if we saw fights in this game, just given how the last few have gone. I hope it's a nasty game. Um, I still think Vancouver is going to be obviously the nastiest of all the games this week, and it's going to be a barn burner and gong show all in one because uh, I don't want to ruin it for this L.A. game. But how do you see it going, Eddie? I think the the Ducks get a little bit of a benefit that they'll be playing the Kings on the second of a back-to-back. The Kings play the Coyotes on Thursday and then they go in and face Anaheim on Friday. So I think that's obviously a huge boost, especially when it's such an important game to face the Kings at this point in the season. Both teams sitting on 89 points with 75 games played. The Kings, when they come into Anaheim, will actually have the the extra game played, so the Ducks will have a game in hand. So it'll be even that, <clears throat> sorry, even that more important. Because if the Ducks pick up points in uh, the Edmonton and Vancouver game, and you look at Vancouver's next three games leading up, they play Edmonton, Calgary, and Arizona. So there's a lot of chance for both teams to pick up some points. It's going to be an even bigger win because you'll you'll be having that game in hand, grabbing points, and then if you come out of it with a win, you still have that game in hand heading into the next game after that. It's the most pivotal game against uh, of the season. I think the winner of that game probably ends up locking up that third spot. In the Pacific, obviously, depending on how these next few games go, but it's such a big four-point game, probably the biggest the Ducks have had in a long time. Absolutely, and you know, you can't look past the game on uh, on Sunday with Edmonton. They play a really weird back-to-back home-and-home. Yeah, L.A. is in Edmonton on Saturday, so hopefully they beat up the Oilers, but the Oilers still win, and then the Oilers are too beat up to play well against the Ducks, and the Ducks beat them. So that's the hopeful outcome at that point. But then the, when the Ducks and Kings play on Friday, you're right. That's that's got to be a must win. This whole week, really. I, let's just say it. They got to win. The rest of the games, <laughs> the yeah. The last win. seven the games are way. must win games. So <laughs> I'm not getting like that's none the of them only way to look at it. <laughs> Unless you get to the final game of the season and you're already locked up a playoff spot, then then fine. But really, I, I mean, I don't see that happening. This is going to go down right to the wire, and the Ducks are going to be fighting for a playoff spot probably until the last game of the season. So uh, just to put a cap on this, we reviewed the week coming up. We've got an update on Manson. The Ducks come away here with a, with one point out of what should have been a loss, a full loss in regulation, sneak a point out of Winnipeg. Eddie, do we have any more questions in our chat or in our Twitter or anything you want to bring up tonight before we call it a night? 
Yeah, we got two things. So we got a question on Reddit, and I'm going to ask that first. And then I did some research during our last discussion on the Josh Manson thing, and I brought up some guys who could also be considered underrated. So I wanted to kind of get that out of the way now so we don't have to continue it into the next show. So the first question we had on Reddit was from Halo. Uh, Going back to the game, he said, did we overextend ourselves in OT? Are we just still not ready for OT? Are we just still not that good in overtime? Um, I wouldn't go that far. I would just say you're playing a team that's got much faster players. Yeah. And Fowler took a chance and got burned. And that happens. It happens to the best players in the world all the time. Everyone bashes Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson, I'm not saying Cam Fowler's Eric Carlson. I'm just saying the best guys on every team make mistakes, get caught in position here trying to create, and that's what happened there. Um, I wouldn't fault the entire game on Cam Fowler as the whole team didn't play well tonight. But uh, I don't think there's an overextension there. I just think a better team won. Yeah, and, and in overtime, you're always going to get that one play that usually leads to a goal anyway. Somebody makes a mistake, you get an odd man rush the other way, and it leads to a goal. I mean, that happens 90% of the time in overtime games. That's just the, the realistics of, of three-on-three overtime. So I, I don't think so. I think they've played better as of late in overtime. I really don't think they were victims uh, of still being crappy in overtime like they were up until about the halfway point season where they had that revelation that you could take the puck out of the zone and regroup. They've actually looked like a better team in overtime, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go as far yet to say that they're still not that great in overtime. And of course, when they get in the playoffs, it doesn't even matter how they do in three on three overtime because we're not gonna see it. Right. Um, last point here, I wanted to bring up a couple names. I felt like guys that were underrated uh, to really throw it into the Josh Manson most underrated discussion. Four guys. Are you gonna I say Kevin Bieksa? No. <laughs> Uh, I, I think he's probably most overrated. I'm not. Uh, well, okay, he has to be closer to that end than most underrated. There's no, there's no way he's closer to the other side. But uh, some guys I brought up, um, I'll, I'll get your take on them after, but I, I feel like they're probably in that discussion as well. Um, I'll leave the best one for last. So first one I had was Nick Letty out of the Islanders. I feel like ever since he's come over from Chicago, that he hasn't got as much of, of the spotlight as he did when he was playing in United Center. So I feel like he's been a reliable guy consistently for the Islanders since he headed over there. So he's my first guy. Second guy, Colton Pareko out of the St. Louis Blues. I feel like he kind of hides under the shadow of, of uh, Alex Petrangelo a bit and doesn't get enough credit for what he does. But, uh, but again, I still think Josh Manson... Uh, gets a little bit of a boost over him. <clears throat> uh, third one was Tory Krug in Boston because just that's just like a recency bias for me because he's just been unbelievable for that team as of late, and really that team has just been excellent as a whole. Uh, and I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for for what he's doing. I think he's getting closer, if not has already passed 50 points on the season, which is just insane. Uh, a guy that I don't think you'll be surprised with that comes up next is Matthias Ekholm out of Nashville. I feel like a lot of people agree this guy is pretty underrated. Uh, he's sitting behind Yossi and Subban, uh, and, and has really been a staple of this blue line for a long time. So I, I feel like he's probably in that discussion. And then the last one in my most favorite, and the guy I feel like probably takes the <clears throat> the title of most underrated defenseman, is Jacob Slavin out of Carolina. This guy's just a beast, and, and he's just an unbelievable defenseman. Doesn't get enough credit, and I think a lot of that is because he plays in Carolina, and you don't hear a lot about the guys over there. So... He takes the cake for me. I think Josh Mance is not too far behind, though. What about Dougie Hamilton? I, you know, I feel like he, he's underrated. In the ter- like, I think he's a better defenseman than he gets credit for. But I don't think he's 
you know, he's still a guy that gets talked about. He's still a guy that gets talked about as being a, a top defenseman. He's second, I think, in goal scoring in the National Hockey League for defensemen right now. So I still think he gets enough talk, especially being a high draft by getting traded from Boston, that it kind of takes him out of that discussion. But you, there's there's an argument there. there. There's an argument that you could put him in that discussion. But I feel like just Josh Manson and Jacob Slavin are just kind of that next level of underrated guy. I'd put Hampus Lindholm in there too. You know, he's yeah, my boy. I, I, I thought about can't it. talk about defenseman yeah. and underrated without mentioning him um i know you wanted to disappoint me that's why you left him off i understand um <laughs> i live to disappoint we have a <laughs> we have a statement not a question in the chat i wanted to bring up chase perez shouts out to us you all should do a 2018 draft live show like you do with the deadline Ooh. you are our prospect guy do you think that we have enough in us to do that or is this something we need to offline and chat about? Don't bring spot. up the trade deadline show. That was that was a nightmare. That was a four to five hour show of just utter disappointment. So <laughs> we and I didn't sat do that one. Obviously, no. I'm not on ducks and pucks. But we sat there all day and talked about how the ducks were were going to be in. And for some guys, hopefully they're going to sign somebody. And then we got that, that like hype section slash panic during the middle of the trade deadline where uh, I think it was. Frank Cervelli had tweeted out that the Ducks were in on Pacioretty. And then everybody just started panicking for like the last hour and a half. And we were all getting excited. And then nothing happened. We we got Chris Kelly and Jason Chimera. And uh, and that Thank was God. that. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I think the draft would be a bit better. Because I don't think there's any way you're going to get disappointed. Um, there's always a chance that you're going to see some trades. And at least if there's not trades, something happened. I mean, the Ducks are going to do something at the draft because they have draft picks. So I, I think it's something we could do. I I'd, I would love to do it because I watch the draft no matter what. It's at a time in the summer where I don't have school, so I can just get going and, and sit down and watch the entire thing. Um, I think it would be more exciting. You know, Obviously, I don't want the Ducks to miss the playoffs, but I think it would be more exciting if they somehow had a, a lottery draft pick after winning the the draft lottery. That would be insane. don't think we're going to see that, but it, it's something we can consider. I think it's a thing we have to sit down and talk about, but... Uh, I don't know. Does anybody really want to watch us sit there and talk about the draft the entire time? Uh, I mean, Gordon Brown Bay says in the chat, more like a deadline show. So yeah, that was the deadline show. It was a dud. If you want to hear us talk about the draft for two hours, I think is how long the first round is, then for sure. Uh, I mean, the Ducks have one draft pick in the first round, so it's going to be a lot of talking about other teams. So if you if you guys want to hear about other teams, then for sure it's something we can consider. I would have to agree with you there. I think another fun one would be a recap of the uh, free agency, the opening week of free yeah. agency. That'll be fun. A lot of movement always happens there, too. So that And the draft is always more exciting, it seems yeah. like, as of late than the uh, the trade deadline. There's like theater uh, to the Gord trades. Bombay puts up. Because Gary Bettman gets up in front of the stage and says, we have a trade, and we don't get to see that on trade deadline show. So there's like a theater aspect to it. Every time he comes up on stage when he's not supposed to, you know something's going to go down. It'd be funny if the GM's booed him when he went up there too. That should be a thing. How used to it is he by now? I mean, he has. I mean, every time he gets booed now, he just loves it. He just eats it. He loves it, dude. He he, he totally does. Remember when when they were in Vegas? He was announcing the new franchise, and he got booed there. I was like, (laughs) good god. Yeah, it's He's a thing now. He's helping guys get a team. It's a thing, no matter what. I mean, I'm sure when he goes to Seattle, he'll get booed, too, because it's just a thing. You just boo him now. And, I mean, not that he doesn't deserve it, but it's become its like its own meme now where he just gets booed no matter where he goes. I mean, he could go to somewhere that's not hockey, and I think people just know that you have to boo this guy. 
Uh, and he he kind of just has a booable face anyway, so. Of course. I mean, but what people need to understand is you're going to boo him, you should boo your GMs because they're the ones who employ Gary Bettman, the owners yeah. and GMs, right? I mean, they're the ones that uh, that are the ones that are paying his paycheck. And uh, he's the guy, the puppet for the owners. So. Moral of the story, just boo everybody. Boo anybody with power in the NHL, and that'll get you far, <laughs> make you feel proud. Root for the players. They're the ones we all want to root for anyway. We're the ones who buy their jerseys. <laughs> Obviously, they're not perfect either, I'm just saying. Um, I think that's it for us, right, unless you got one more thing cooking? No, I wish. But no, <laughs> I think we were, it's a miracle we made it over an hour. So I think, uh, I think we'd wrap it up. Uh, it wasn't, Twitter was dead today. So I don't know if it was five because. 5 o'clock it, games, top on yeah, Friday. That's what I was say. I think it was a 5 o'clock game. So not much was happening. The chat's been pretty decent. So thank you for everybody who came out. Gordon by Bay, Quacking Steve, Chase, uh, Matthew was in here at, at one point. Everybody else who showed up as well, Steven. So thanks everybody who actually came out to the chat. I know it wasn't the most exciting game, but uh, we, we appreciate everybody who came out. Absolutely. You guys can find us on iTunes, on Google Play, obviously on Spreaker. That's our main area to go in there. That's how anybody who's on our chat is logging in and checking out our show live and able to ask us questions as we roll. But we would love it if you guys were able to go to iTunes, click, subscribe, like our podcast. Give us a five-star and a review. That's really helped a lot lately. We have, we're up to 12 five-star ratings, which is amazing. We have five written reviews, which is also amazing. We appreciate all the support, you guys. We love you guys. And uh, stay tuned for Sunday night. We will have yet another post-game show, and we'll talk to you guys then. Have a great rest of your weekend. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.